Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Cornerstone Christian Cornerstone broadcast. Today we're going over the Entertainment Driven Church. This one here, again, is an archive of one we've done. I want to say, quite honestly, I don't know. I'm kind of losing track as far as how much time is passing on this. Um, so we're not going to give you that. Um, Entertainment Driven Church. This is a this is a, a one I think is really important for us to uh, talk about. I think it's important for us to recognize. Um, and I think it's important for us to analyze our own churches, to discern, is this going on within our church? Is this the focus? Is the focus entertainment um, or is the focus the word of God? Because we need to properly understand that we need to actually properly see this within our churches and ask the question, what's their focus? What's the tactic that they are using to draw people in, um, you know, to, in into the church? Uh, and I bring this one up. I wasn't actually going to go over this uh, one. It was originally called the Church Out of Context. And I think it's rightly so. But after discovering, uh, in fact, I actually used, I think, a quote here. Yeah, I used a quote here from Charles Spurgeon. His sermon was actually called the Entertainment Driven Church. Um, and I think that's rightly uh, established. And I bring this up. There was, uh, you know, whenever this was last, uh, when we last talked about this, there was a church. In fact, I hate to, you know, you know I, it's... It's, you know, Lifehouse Church here in Van Wert, Ohio, is, uh, a, is an entertainment-driven church. It's exactly what it is. It is a false church, uh, essentially leading false converts astray uh, down the broad path of uh, destruction rather than the narrow path of salvation. Now, you, you could probably argue this, that, wait a minute, wait a minute, no, you can't really say that. They're, they're talking about the Bible, aren't they? They're, you know, you know, they, claim to, they claim to be believers, they claim to be Christians, um, they claim to follow Jesus, they profess the name of Jesus, they do all of this stuff. So, you know, how can you call these people false? How can you call this a false church? Well, first off, you need to recognize that when Christ spoke, and I think it was either Matthew 7 or Matthew 10, um, he said that in, in the, you know, there will be those who, who profess, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these things in your name? They're going to have done good deeds. They're going to have ministered the word of God, or at least what they, you know, what they thought to be the word of God. They're going to, you know, teach the word of God. They're they're going to do the Christian stuff. Is what's going to happen, and yet Christ Himself is going to say, "Go away! I never knew you." Uh, and that's going to happen. In fact, when Christ is talking about um, when he, you know, talking about false prophets, he's not talking about the pagans. He's not talking about Buddhism. He's not talking about Islam. He's not talking about uh, a false understanding of, of, of Judaism or whatever, or Catholicism specifically. There's a, not specifically, but there's another one. Um, he's not talking about these false religions. He's talking about a false understanding of the Christian faith. And the narrow road and the broad road, here's the kicker there. This is actually a term I learned from uh, John MacArthur. The broad road itself, Christ himself says that it leads to destruction. But here's the interesting part. Satan himself doesn't pave the road, the broad path, with the sign that says, this way to hell. Instead, he scratches hell off that sign, and he goes ahead and tapes a big old banner that says, this way to heaven, straight across that. So, essentially, what's going on here is Christ is saying, is like, beware of this false representation of worship. Beware of this false religious system. Beware of these false ideas. Beware of these false teachings. These sheep, or these wolves in sheep's clothing, are false prophets that are dressed and identified as the most righteous Christian you can find. Essentially, these are the words of uh, John MacArthur. Uh, I do know there's some people out there that uh, would deem me a heretic, 
One of them would be a heretic himself, which I do find quite a, quite concerning. But anyways, I bring that up. You know, if you're going to claim myself, then you got a couple other people to back this up. Anyways, I bring this up. This is kind of motivated. This was motivated by a gentleman I spoke to, uh, I would say, about two days ago. I was a little curious. You know, we, uh, uh, this church I'm at, I've been there for, let's say, about five, four months, I think is what it was. Really awesome. Calvary Evangelical Church. We'll actually do a review on this probably, you know, later on this week, maybe next week um, of the church. And... Um, Anyways, it's a wonderful place, wonderful teaching, sound doctrine, um, and you know the structure itself is good. From what I can perceive, uh, it, it seems to be a good place. So if you're looking for a church here in Van Wert, Ohio, check none other than Calvary Evangelical. It's just past Chiefs on Lincoln Highway. No, Decatur Road, I think is what it is. Um, anyways, so um, I was asking this gentleman, I was talking to him, I was like, so, uh, you know, how long have you been going to this church? He said, well, about three years, and, you know, where you're talking, I was like, yada, 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 I was like, yeah, you know, I, I had a fallout with a previous church, you know, here's the backstory behind it, I was, you know, without for two years, studying under MacArthur's work, love his stuff, and then I came across Calvary, blah, 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 there's my uh, history, and he's like, yeah, we had a similar thing, I was like, you know, what happened? He's like, well, you know, we wanted to get our, our daughter I think it was his daughter, you know, their child. They wanted to get their child um, dedicated. Uh, in fact, I'm, I'm personally against infant baptism because baptism itself is a sign of um, your commitment to Christ. And you can't get a two-year-old to say, I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. I'm going to submit to him as Lord. So rather than we should, you know, do at most is to dedicate a child um, and, and, and what that dedication is, that's saying that the parents are dedicating their child to the faith. We, as parents, are going to do our best in our Christian duty to train up our child in the righteousness of God. And then when the time comes, we hope that they will choose to submit to him as Lord. That's essentially what dedication is. And anyways, what he was said is they, you know, Lifehouse Church would not dedicate his child as of, as of now, as far as I know, uh, this was three years ago, but they said they would not dedicate his child because they weren't, um, how do you word this here? They weren't um, active enough. They weren't participating enough. They weren't volunteering enough within the church. Now, granted, people themselves and I should get involved. They should get involved in the church. absolutely freaking lutely um, But can you or should you restrict somebody or hinder somebody from dedicating their child simply because of their activity within the volunteering sphere of a church? No. In fact, you, you cannot argue that this man, or I, at least I can't, um, you know, I can't argue this for who he is now compared to who he was then. I don't know who he was then. But if you were to relate who he is now and who he was then, this man's volunteering. You know, we met at Calvary Evangelical. I'm sorry, we actually met at a, a work that we're doing. But we uh, saw each other at Calvary. And, uh, you know, he's actually doing active duty. He's uh, doing usher work, collecting uh, collecting tithes. So he's he's getting in, he's getting his hands uh, dirty or, well, hands clean, however you want to uh, word it. Um, and uh, so if you were to base that, then you would, you would see that for, for whatever reason it was, I don't know, that he was not taking place in the, the sphere of Lifehouse Church. I don't know why. I don't care. Um, but that was their argument. They're saying, hey, you, you don't have enough duties in this church. You can't, we can't dedicate your... We're not going to dedicate your child. That is very, very wrong, very sinful, and it is essentially hindering somebody from the body of Christ. And uh, So anyways, he, uh, he joined up with this church, and that was the backstory. That's why we're going over this. The entertainment-driven church. 
Now, I'm looking at their website, actually. I'm looking at uh, their website and their Facebook page. Um, one of the things, and I don't think I'm really going to go over this too much, but one of the things when I last went over this, uh, this topic, I was looking at their... Um, I was looking at their website, or not their, their uh, I keep getting confused here, I was getting their, I was looking at their Facebook page, um, and I scrolled through it, I pr actually I probably at that time, from what I remember, um, I probably went through a year's worth of posts, if not six months at least, and I very rarely saw anything that talks about, this is what the study, um, and you, you got some stuff, you know, the topic itself, the, you know, this, this is a study of the sermon, but they didn't really give any scriptural references or, uh, or posts of any sort like that on their website. Now, does that mean that's a false church? Not necessarily. In fact, if you look at the uh, Cornerstone ministry page, uh, most of the stuff we do uh, is quotes. Um, is quotes by uh, other ministers, other um, you know reformers of the uh, Christian faith. That's kind of the, the highlight now, uh, as well as sharing articles. So, I mean, we're kind of in that same boat. So that does not necessarily show somebody as being a false believer. Or, I'm sorry, not as a... It doesn't necessarily show a church as a, a, a false church to be at. But, here's the key factor. Their focus at that time... In fact, I, I, again, I'm scrolling through their uh, Facebook page, and I still see this. You scroll through their Facebook page, and you're going to see that. You're going to see it more being focused about entertainment. Um, their cover pay, uh, photo, I mean, that's actually kind of interesting, I'll admit that. But it's more about the entertainment there than actually the word, the gospel, from what I can tell. Um, and then scrolling through their page, it is more about, you see more of a focus on their, you know, new songs is what we're going to be going over with, uh, you know, this week. You know, And uh, a couple of the other phrases in which was given, uh, the last time I brought this up, the pastor was um, so keen to promote uh, little videos of here's what we're going over with. Uh, and some of the things that would go is, uh, you know, talking about this, you know, this killer new song and we're going to be singing this week. Um, you know, this cool new, you know, we have a new light show uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. Mentoring the, mentioning the uh, current series. Um, that's good. But the focus was these light shows, this songs. Um, and, you know, what's going on with the children's uh, ministry. I find that to be kind of concerning because, now there's nothing wrong with talking about this stuff, but that's the focus point. That's how you can identify if it's an entertainment-driven church. Where what's the, what's the thing, what elements is the highlights, I guess, if, if you would like, like to uh, call it that way. What's taking the center stage? Is it the Word of God or is it the entertainment? Um, is it the stuff that we offer for, for, for your enjoyment? Is that the focus? That's kind of how you can tell if it's going to be an entertainment-driven church. Um, now, another key point here, I'm not going to stress this too much. We'll not, I'm not going to go too much into this. But if you look at their website, um, Andy Stanley himself, again, we're not going to go into this too. I'm not going to really go into this at all. Andy Stanley himself is a false teacher, straight up. One of the key factors that he gives is uh, or that he's been in light of, I think it was in the last year, was that he's talking about um, that we should get unhitched from the Old Testament. In fact, I actually saw an article today um, that he was, um, oh, I don't know, let me see if I can't pull this up here. Um, I'm not going to read this, but the uh, article itself, um, I don't have it. Um, it was essentially, I think it was by church leaders, is that, or, or is, well, I don't know, some, some Christian uh, page I follow online. Anyways, they're talking about how uh, some of uh, Andy Stanley's claims are actually confusing people. 
you know, they're confusing people to say, so are we New Testament Christians only? Are we, like, getting rid of the Old Testament completely? Why are you talking about the Old Testament if we're supposed to get unhitched from it? If we're supposed to be separated from that under this new covenant? What's going on? There's the confusion, uh, and that's just one key factor. You can actually look up a bunch more if you'd like. I, I have a couple that are coming on my mind right now. Answers in Genesis, they did an article uh, as well as a podcast uh, a couple months back, I think is what it was, sometime last year, identifying uh, you know a lot of concerns with Andy Stanley. So anyways, Andy Stanley is a false teacher. Uh, this church itself does align with it as a sister church. Um, and you, you can see that through some of their sermons online. They actually have that promoted. But uh, as we get into this, I'm kind of ranting on this. You know, this is a long 12-minute introduction here. Um, so I kind of have to have to make that known. And again, I, this is kind of a, an archive purposes. Uh, some of this stuff is repeat. But what's interesting enough is uh, before I go into that, let me see if I can't find this real quick. I want to read to you a, a review that I actually gave. Um, and I think this was uh, probably a couple months or so after... Um, after leaving this church, um, I'm not really sure where it's at. Details about me. Okay, I don't know where it's at. Overview. Where's my overview at? Okay, so there was a quote, a um, review that I have given uh, to this church. Um, I apparently can't see it unless I'm looking at the wrong page here. Um, yeah, I'm not 100% uh, sure where it's at, but I gave a review. And that review was essentially recognizing the errors that I've noticed. And I, and I with all sincerity, and I, I still do feel this way, um, I recognize the errors and I said, well, here's the issues. And in fact, we're going to go over some of these today. And I said, well, here's what these things have to say, blah, blah, blah. And what I've noticed, and I said, you know, I said, you know, I, I pray that I hope you guys recognize these and turn from that. And here to find out, I think it was probably about a month later, I checked on it because I wasn't sure how often they checked on these reviews or how often they got these reviews. But I checked on it, and uh, a couple weeks later or so, and I checked on it, and the reviews are removed. You can no longer place a review on their website, and um, I saw that to be kind of uh, kind of a concern, really, because uh, it shows that they, you know, possibly have something to hide, um, you know, from my from my uh, perspective. So I found that to be very uh, we're going to do things our way kind of concept. Um, now, as I said, you know, you know, some of these highlights of these videos that they've had in the past, uh, almost all of them promote, you know, some killer music display, uh, have, have fun in class, and in fact, actually, when this uh, came up, what uh, motivated this uh, this uh, episode originally was uh, there was a, a young lady, and I believe she still goes there. Um, I can't even remember what it was. There was some lady that I was talking to. She was, uh, I, I threw something up about, hey, there's this problem with this church or however I worded it, I can't remember. And she commented on it and uh, gave some sort of arguments behind that. And one of the things she said, and this is, I think, one of their phrases, I think this is actually a phrase from uh, Andy Stanley, is that it's a church for the unchurched. I've actually heard that quite a few times. Um, to my knowledge, I've heard it from at least two or three people that Lifehouse Church is a church for the unchurched. What does that even mean? I don't know what their philosophy is. That's why is they're calling why they are calling it a church for the unchurched. But I can tell you from a biblical perspective, the unchurched are the lost. So the best way that we can explain this from a biblical perspective is you know to say that it's a church for the unchurched means that it is a ministry for the lost. 
there's nothing new behind that. That's exactly what the Christian faith is supposed to be. But the problem is, are they doing it right? No. Another argument was, another defending argument was, entertainment is sometimes the only way to get someone through the doors. Um, you know, and to begin a relationship. You know, to get somebody through the doors and to, and to begin a relationship, sometimes you got to throw in a little entertainment. Now, if you ever have been in a relationship, then we can all agree that bribing is not the best way to build a relationship, or at least build a good relationship, and that seems to be what it was. You know, it's a, you know, we can agree that bribing, you know, spending time with somebody is never healthy, nor does it help produce a proper relationship. Um, we are called to be fishers of men. This was another argument that was shown out, with, which does, which is true. We are called to be fishers of men, absolutely. But to be a fisherman or fisherwoman, to be a fisher, this requires the proper bait. True. But the bait's the key. You need to recognize what are we doing to lure people in? Entertainment concepts such as a killer light show or killer music, a flashy light show, they can be a good tool. They can. I'm not going to you know, inherently uh, dismiss that. Uh, I do think we should you know, focus less on it. Uh, you know, my opinion, honestly, you know, I said earlier, actually I don't think I remember saying earlier, I, I, my opinion, I think we need to actually remove the music from the church service. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with music. My personal opinion is I get more worship from listening to the Word of God being delivered than I do from the music. And it's because of the style of music we've gotten into. We've gotten into an entertainment style worship of music. We call this music uh, segment of church service worship. It's not. It's one key aspect of worship. There's there's music. There's the sermons. There's uh, um, giving to the needy. In fact, anything that you're doing for the glory of God is considered to be worship, um, if proper worship. God Himself actually, in the Old Testament, uh, you know, tells. I think it's actually in the um, Proverbs, perhaps, where He says that He abhors. Um, actually, I don't think so. I think it's actually one of the prophets. <laughs> Jokes on you guys. They're all prophets. Anyway, so, um, <laughs> I got a little bit more of an amusement out of that uh, than I originally thought. But, anyways, he talks about that their, their sacrifices are, are being done in vain. He, he doesn't desire that. You know, he wants, he wants a sincere heart. That's what God wants. You know, to make it all, to make your golden bait, um you know, reach the lost, you know, or, or if, if the bait is good to a point, if used properly, if you have the proper bait, use worms for something, bugs for another one, um, bread, whatever else that you use when you go fishing. There's certain kinds of baits that work for other, for fish and certain ones that don't. These can be good tools if used properly, but to make it your golden bait is what I would like to call it. To make these, these entertainment concepts, this killer light show, this killer song, um, you know, this, this entertainment style, to make this your golden bait, your prized jewel, to reach the lost, if that's what's going on, then you're failing. You're failing because the first priority, yes, is to go out into the nations, 
to make disciples, to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But it's to deliver the gospel. That's the first priority of the believer. And if you're not doing that, there's means for concern. There's reason for concern. If your focus is entertainment first, well, you're not, you're not part of a church. This is part of a cult. And not once do you see Jesus baiting people to come to him. Sure, he does perform awesome miracles. He heals people. He performs. He feeds 5,000 people on just a couple loaves of bread and some fish. But that's not his means to draw people in. He didn't try to befriend people first. Before offering them salvation. In fact, the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well, you know, he kind of leads it into her admitting her own sin. She says, I don't have a husband. And he's like, you're right, you don't. This is a man that shouldn't even know this one. In fact, she, he doesn't. By human standards, Jesus Christ doesn't know, know, knows nothing about this Samaritan woman at the well. But yet he says, in fact, you have five. He's like, wait a minute, I'm a little offended that you know that. I'm kind of creeped out. It's like, you've got five husbands, and the one you're married with, or the one you're living with right now, that's not even your husband. He recognizes the sin. And the conversation continues, and she repents. And she runs off saved. She runs off a new creation. Jesus isn't saying, you know, come with me and I'll give you like a bunch of fish. I'll give you a bunch of fun stuff to do. We're going to go play games and whatever else that you want to think of. He's saying, you know, repent of your sins. Repent of your sins. Turn to the Lord. Turn to me. Christ didn't bait people, but he clearly presented the word. He proved that he was the Son of God, and because of this, prophecies foretold, people would find rest in him. Some traits concerning, some concerning traits of a, uh, uh, well, of this church, to be honest. Um, well, not of this church. Uh, there's a couple here that are... Um, False churches, we'll go with this. Concerning traits of a false church. Number one here, we've got one, two, three, four, five. Five of them here emphasizing entertainment over the gospel. When this begins to draw people into the church, when, it, when, they begin, when, when a, a church begins to draw people in with entertainment, with an entertainment-centered heart, rather than God-seeking, how do you think they will respond if you unsuspe unsuspectingly got rid of the light show? What would remain, would these people remain, if you got rid of this entertainment? Or would they find another entertaining and fun church? If you got rid of that, and you, you know, you've been an entertainment-driven church for 5, 10 plus years, and you finally decide to get rid of this and get back on track, what's going to happen? You're going to lose these people. In fact, we'll get into that here in a minute. Another trait here is repentance is rarely spoken of. Out of fear of making one uncomfortable, we are called to love more than anything, which is true. This is true. This is a true claim. But it's also not true. We need to first understand we are called to love with an agape love, the love that the same love that resonates within the Holy Scriptures, the same love that exposed false ideas among the Israelites, and the same love that got angry when Moses saw the golden calf and threw the stone tablets. And this is also the same love that brings warning to the condemned. 
to the sinner. When love is taught to be nice all the time, never hurting another by speaking the truth, but allowing them to figure it out, or come to you before you, uh, or come, or you know, or coming to you before you answer, we begin to present a satanic lie to the people. Another key point, in fact, this is actually one that uh, this, this uh, church is, uh, well, unfortunately guilty of. Sermons are not original, but they are duplicates. They are duplicates from another. Now, this is kind of interesting. This is uh, uh, something I've, I've, I got from um, uh, John Piper. You know, he's talking about using other sermons. In fact, I was originally, this was before this, actually, um, some time ago, I was actually thinking about throwing my stuff online, saying, hey, if you guys want to infect... I was going, going to, you know, uh, put these on sale for, you know, if anybody wants these materials, you're welcome to have it. But then I realized is this is the word of God that I'm delivering. It's like, I got to give this away for free. Now, there's some some materials I do plan on, on, on selling off, um, you know, for further studies. But when it comes to delivering, what I speak of in this, uh, these videos themselves, I was like, I can't, I can't let people use that. I can't let them use this material for other ministries. I mean, they're welcome to study with it. They're welcome to get together with a, for a group, but you know, and, and not at the means of getting in front of the pulpit and duplicating this. Because here's what's going on: a sermon. Again, this are this is uh, you know from John uh, John Piper. Uh, a sermon or preaching is to be an echo of the Word of God, an echo of our convictions and the message from the Lord. But what happens when it becomes an echo of an echo? You look in the scriptures, you know, and, and you, you find that um, every single person that was delivering a message, all the prophets, they say, thus saith the Lord. This is implying that the message that these people are delivering to, that the, that the prophets are delivering to the people, that this is, in fact, coming directly from God to the, to the prophet and delivered to the people. It is not coming from God to a prophet, given to another messenger, and then given to the people. Or it's not from a, you know coming from a person that says, hey, you know, this prophet over here, they said this. Well, and, and, and this is what they said. This is, this is the message of God delivered from such and such. You don't see something like that happen within the scriptures. The only times you do is when it's a letter from from you know that that that's Paul is writing, and even then, these are the words of Paul, a prophet, giving what God revealed to him. God told this pastor a message, and this message is what I, you know, your pastor, am telling you today. That's the concept of the echo. And if a pastor of a church continuously presents a sermon and preaches as an echo of an echo, much like this one here does, how long can this word be trusted? The preaching he presents is not his own convictions or what God has presented him with. But rather this pastor saw a topic, uh, a topic of a sermon from another minister, uh, I say minister, not a pastor, Andy Stanley, and he's saying, you know, essentially, and I, I haven't talked to him about this stuff, but, you know, this is kind of the concept of what happens when it's an echo of an echo. They say, this is good stuff. Let's tell the congregation this this week. Another key, uh, key point is polling practices. I saw this in a, um, 
I saw this in my past, uh, one of my past churches I was at, pulling pagan practices into worship, or in this case that I, in my experience, it was Catholic, uh, I can't even say the word, Catholic practices, Catholicism. He's pulling practices from there. 1 Samuel 5 gives, gives an example of how God would respond when brought into the presence of idols. Check that out. 1 Samuel chapter 5. When the presence of God is brought into the presence of idols. This is a, for later discussion, but the bottom line is to remain holy for he is holy. Give to God what is God and leave to the pagans what are of the pagans. In fact, uh, Moses, I believe, shares something like that in his writings, where he tells us, you know, is, you know, do not add anything to your worship. Do not take anything away from your worship, because then it would lead to, well, a pagan ideas. So a pagan religion is what it would end up being. And another key factor is that you would find. Um, to this about concerning traits that you would find with false churches is they use scripture verses out of context. In fact, I just recently came to a conclusion with one of them. I'll get to that here in a point. I don't remember uh, the specific verse uh, that it was. But it says, you know, one key, one thing that we say is like, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Philippians 4.13, this isn't about doing everything. This isn't about being, you know, this superhero. This is about being content. That passage Paul is talking about, I've, I've, I've went through all of these experiences and through this, I know that God was there. I know that he was providing. I know that he was caring for me. And because I've had these experiences, I can now conclude that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can, I can overcome them because it is God who helps me through. I know the plans that I have for you. Jeremiah 29 11 now that verse itself you know perhaps it, it perhaps it does resonate among the Christian faith but we need to be careful with how we recognize that because it says you know plan uh, you know uh, uh, I have plans for hope and I have plans for pro you know for you to prosper you know that's that was that was uh, for Israel that wasn't for the people of God I mean well let me rephrase that that was for the people of God but that wasn't for the Christians in the New Testament in fact Christ himself says I promise that you guys are going to be persecuted I promise that you guys are all going to die for me. That's not prosperous. I mean, perhaps in a spiritual sense, yes. But when God is giving this promise, I don't necessarily think that was the key point. You know, their prosperity was, you know, to be a nation. Now, the verse can be taken, you know, in a spiritual sense, yes, but we need to be careful with that. When two or more gathered, you know, in fact, this was actually one that the pastor of the previous church I was at, uh, well, essentially a false teacher himself. Uh, again, this is actually another one. Uh, Living Truth Ministries, local church again, and uh, not Andy Stanley, uh, Anthony Perry. He's uh, he's another concern. I tried reaching out to this gentleman, but he would not hear me. Um, this is another one. When two or more are gathered, there will be in the midst. Matthew eighteen twenty. This is we talked about this actually in our last series. This passage is talking about discernment. It's not talking about when you know three people are there, so God will be there, because we can. If, if that was the case, then we conclude if there's one person, then okay, well God's not there. That's not the case. It's talking about discernment. If if this is the case, if two or three gather in my name, and he's talking about true believers, then I too shall be with there. I shall help them to to discern this, you know, for the proper judgment. Another verse taken out of context is "Do not judge." Matthew chapter seven, verse one. We're not going to get into that, but even false, even uh, you know, we, we have 
churches that use that. If they say, well, you know, this person is judging us um, uh, of our sins, or, or um, you know, it's like you're not near a place to judge. Well, that's taken out of context. That's wrong. You're using this for your own self-righteousness. Now, going back to the entertainment. The entertainment-driven church... Uh, these are the this, again. This is a sermon. I don't have the sermon, uh, but I have a quote from this sermon from uh, Charles Spurgeon. His quote here is, and we went over this briefly. It says, "If you have to give a carnival, or in other words, if you have to entertain the people to get people to come into the church, then you'll have to keep giving them a carnival in order for them to come back. In other words, you're going to remain a carnival for." The carnies, so not necessarily the carnies, but the carny followers, carny believers, carny entertaining, uh, whatever you call the people that go to a carnival. Guests. That's the word, word I got. It's the only word I have right now. But if that's what you're doing to get people within the doors, then there's concern right there. Overall, this church seems to be a place of comfort. Uh, a ministry teaching, what can I get out of this today? The church was never supposed to be like that. The, ch the church, the Christian church, was never supposed to be, what can I get out of this? But instead, it's supposed to be about what you can give. Matthew 20, 28 tells us, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but he did come to serve. There's two ways in which I'm seeing this. We, we excuse me, you know, in fact, these are these are some ways in which Jesus taught his followers. And the first point, if you give me a second here, you know, his first moment, I was kind of wet my whistle there. Um, this first point here is unlike the self-righteous who consider themselves above all, the leader of the lesser in a worldly kingdom. These people are usually the ones, referring to um, the self-righteous, these people are the ones who are usually being served. They are... Um, they are royalty. They have authority. They shouldn't have to get their hands dirty to, to cook dinner, to make a phone call, to clean the house. What Jesus was telling us was that he didn't come to comfort. He didn't come to, con uh, to conform to this lifestyle. Instead, he came to serve others. He came to be the example of true humility, of true agape love for his children. He was here to serve not just the brothers and the sisters of the kingdom of God, but also the less fortunate, who could not even care for themselves for whatever reason limited their own abilities. In fact, he came to be that example so that we would not be above that. You know, it tells us that a, a servant is not above his master, and that's in reference to persecution and judgment. But the same goes to the act of lifestyle. If Christ himself is willing to serve, then so must we. John 3, I'm sorry, not John 3, John 6, 36. I have come down from heaven not to pursue my own agenda, but to do what he desires. I am here on behalf of the Father who sent me. So not only is Christ here to, to serve, not only is he here to be a servant to us, to show the example that, that we are supposed to be for Christ, but we are also to serve in the sense of serving God. We find here that everything Jesus does is the will of the Father. His healings, his teachings, building disciples, his rebuking, his correcting, working other miracles, his exposing false prophets, exposing heresy, and even dying 
even dying, which leads to new life. He came to do the will of the Father. He did, he did not come to minister because he wanted to. Because God wanted to hold judgment against creation, and Jesus said, No, I'm, not, I'm going to save them from your wrath. This is not true. Jesus came because it is what the Father wanted. Jesus came. The Father desired this in the, in the divine trinity, you know, perhaps having some sort of conversation, say, how are we going to redeem these people? God the Father says, well, I have a way. I need to put my wrath upon you. And Jesus says, okay, I'm going to submit to you. I'm going to listen to that and let's do this. Let's get this job done. I'm going to submit to your authority. I'm going to relinquish some of my divinity in order to be the example of, 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 of how the human is supposed to respond to God. And I will do what you, what you, Father, desire. In the Old Testament, the Father demands sacrifice. Blood was to be shed for the cause of sin. The sacrifice in which people did was to be put off as a judgment. Uh, the sacrifice that the people did was what put off judgment for another year. Now, I think it's important to make this clear that the Old Testament God did not demand sacrifice or else. But it was more for the people of God to realize the level of severity of their crime against God. That's what the, the, the sacrifice was for. It says, you know, this, this innocent, this lamb that you guys are sacrificing every year, this lamb didn't do anything. You guys are killing it. You guys are placing your sins on it. An innocent lamb being shed for the for the, the sins of many. In other words, it's your fault that this person's dead. All right, let me rephrase that. It's your fault that this animal's dead. Because you're wicked, this one's paying for your crime. And this was a means in a hopes that they, they, they would recognize the errors. It wasn't to be done out of works. Oh, I've sinned. Let's go kill an animal. But this was for them to recognize the severity, saying that this, this lamb that we're giving sacrifice to on this altar. This has committed no crime against God. It's simply living out its lifestyle how it was designed to do. Meanwhile, we've got humans who are above this, who are living out our lives how we want to. They were to see the innocent creature on the sacrificial altar and see their sin, see themselves, of who truly deserves that punishment. But God loved the people so much that he gave a way to escape death. It is not only those who, um, who are of the body, who have experienced a spiritual rebirth, who no longer have to fear death because of punishment. Their death happened on, cross, on, the, Calvary, on the cross on Calvary 2,000 years ago. And one of the greatest things of the Christian, uh, that the Christian can do uh, is to think and to analyze everything. We're not called to follow leaders blindly but instead to test and see that they are true to their word. What is the purpose of a certain practice? Is it helpful or is it hazardous? Paul explains, and, and we have to recognize that within when it comes to the entertainment-driven church, is this helpful for the body? Is this building us up? Or is this leading us astray from true worship of God? Paul explains this concept in 1 Corinthians 8, while he who is mature in the faith, no certain practices are ultimately harmless for the body of Christ because we know what the true purpose of it is. Paul continues to explain that if, even though we know the, the condition of this, this element, of this practice, 
if it causes somebody to sin who is younger in the faith, if it causes them to stumble by any means, he says it is best to avoid it altogether. Matthew 5:30 tells us this, if your right hand causes you to excuse me, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one part of your body than to march your entire body through the gates of hell. In other words, it, you know, it, sin itself is so important that we need to do whatever possible to avoid it. It's not saying we're going to be perfect. But if we recognize that there's something that can cause a spiritual harm, we must be willing to overlook it. Now here's the last piece I have. We're uh, on 40 minutes, so I'm going to try to wrap this up here. I'm going to try to leave my commentary alone. Um, feelings are emphasized over facts. You see this a lot within the charismatic movement. It says, I feel God telling me this. I feel him placing this on my heart. I feel, I feel, I feel. I think, I think, I think. Rather than what the Bible has to say. In other words, they're placing their own thoughts, their own emotions, their own feelings above the word of God. As the Bible ceases to be viewed as God's definitive word, what a person feels to be true becomes the ultimate authority in practice. The Bible does not resonate within me. I thought homosexual, and those are some of the words of uh, people who met, recognize their feelings over the, over the word of God itself. Uh, and these are signs that you're headed towards a progressive Christianity or a secularism. Uh, the Bible does not resonate with me or I don't feel it's important. Uh, I thought homosexuality was a sin until I met and befriended some gay people. Um, I, uh, I just can't believe Jesus would send good people to hell. In fact, he's not. You're sending yourself there. He's trying to save people. Follow your heart. What's your heart telling you? That's, that's something, too. We do not want to follow our hearts. I believe it's Jeremiah 27, where it says that heart itself is deceitful above all. Who can know it? Christian doctrines are open for reinterpretation. We have this going on today, you know, about the, the concept of homosexuality, who can marry who, uh, women in the pulpits, uh, you know, whatever else that you can possibly think of that's, you know, kind of heretical doctrines is going through. Uh, this, the, the gift of tongues, which is actually a dead language. We're not going to get into that. No longer. If you see people talk, are claiming tongues, correct them saying, hey, that's wrong. Uh, if you see somebody claiming to speak in tongues, saying that's, that's heresy, that's satanic, you're, that's not godly. But anyways, uh, the resurrection of Jesus doesn't have any factual, is, it doesn't have to be factual to speak the truth. These are some key points to the reinterpretation. Uh, the church's historical position on sexuality is archaic. It needs to be updated with modern times. We need to update, the, we, need to, we need to get the Bible up to times. Uh, you know, update it to, to how we live. In other words, they want their God. The idea of a literal hell is offensive to non-Christians and this needs to be reinterpreted. That's not the best way to, to tell somebody or to bring somebody to Christ. Which we'll actually get to this. There's an article I'm going to be putting together. Uh, I, I saw this uh, really interesting video and I want to share the, the concept behind this. But if you get the chance to actually look it up, um, I don't know what to call it. I don't even know if it has a title. Uh, a mirror and shirt uh, parable is what we could probably call it. So I'm going to call the article when I put it together. Um, Anyway, so number three here, as far as uh, signs as well as you're heading towards a uh, progressive or liberal idea of Christianity or secularism, is the heart of the gospel message shifts from sin and redemption to social justice. There is no doubt that the Bible commands us to take care of the unfortunate and to defend those who are oppressed. This is a very real and profoundly important part of what it means to be of the Christian life. However, the core message of Christianity, the gospel, 
is that Jesus died for our sins, he was buried, resurrected, and thereby reconciled to God. And this is the message that brings true freedom to the oppressed. When we stray away from that, we're straying away from the word. Sin does not separate us from God. There's another concept they believe. Sin does not separate us from God. We are made in his image, and you know, we are called you know called us good. Um, God didn't actually require sacrifice for our sins. The first Christians picked up this pagan practice of animal sacrifice and told Jesus, to, uh, you know, the terms that you know the Jesus story in similar terms. Uh, another argument is we don't really need to preach the gospel. We just need to show love by bringing justice to the oppressed and provisions in the needy. So keep in mind that we don't need to preach the gospel. We just need to show the love. Some, you know, and one of the errors that we have today is that. Uh, Preaching, you know, we, we think that showing love, showing kindness is delivering the gospel. That's not the case at all. That's not even the gospel. That is showing affection. That is showing concern for them. But that is not the message of the gospel. They still need to hear it. Signs of a secular church. I got four, eight, eight points here, and these are really, really quick. It says, preaching what is popular to avoid what is controversial. Number two here is no standard for membership or those serving in ministry. You know, you know, just do it. Just, just be a part of the church. Now, I, I'm kind of on the fence on that one. Um, I'm, I'm for and against me, uh, memberships. Um, I think we need to be, be careful with what we call memberships, um, with how we interpret that. Um, but there's nothing inherently wrong with it. Um, there's nothing sinful, and there's nothing. It, it, it's a 50-50 thing. You, but you got to be careful with that. Number three here is premarital sex and cohabitation between unmarried couples is a normal thing. In fact, it's not. It's not really spoken about too much uh, within certain churches. Uh, number four, secular music is played at church events. Now, keep in mind, I don't have a, I don't have a problem with secular music, but I do have a problem when that becomes, you know, above, you know, normal Christian hymns or worship style music. Worldly dancing, drinking to be drunk is acceptable. And keep in mind, these are actually uh, collected from an article. Articles, I think, actually, plural, uh, in which I've come across. Again, uh, signs you're headed towards progressive Christianity and secularism. I don't even remember where I got this from. Uh, but worldly dancing, drinking, you know, and being drunk is acceptable. Number six, the church adopts or supports cultural values more than the teachings of Scripture. Number seven is congregation adopts or supports uh, cultural entertainment more than biblical discipleship. That's an interesting one there. Biblical discipleship. I think we need to do more of that. In fact, we'll probably do a study on that. I'll see if I can't get somebody on board with this as well. Uh, final here is Jesus is only, uh, is only presented as Savior rather than Lord. In fact, I think I did a, a, an episode on that. Is that there's actually more times Christ is referred to as Lord than he is Savior. And I want you to check that out. There's like over 700 times. Get a concordance out, actually. I'm, I'm not even going to give you any more numbers. But the Lord is referred to more, as referring to Jesus Christ. So just, uh, just New Testament. Just look in New Testament. How many times the word Lord is used in reference to Jesus Christ? And you'll find a massive number in comparison to how many times he's referred to as Savior. Uh, last section here, 12 reasons millennials are leaving the church. And I think this is important to recognize in regards to an entertainment-driven church. As I said, you know, we've got two churches here in town. Um, I want to give this quote real quick. This is kind of, uh, I kind of jumped ahead here. This is another Charles Spurgeon quote. Again, we're, this is kind of old news. I should have given this probably about 15 minutes ago. 
Um, he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the work of the ministry. Where do the entertainers come in? The Holy Spirit is silent concerning them. Were, uh, were the prophets persecuted because they amused the people or because they refused? The concert has no martyr role. Now going back to this, this last segment here, and then we're going to wrap this up here, is 12 reasons millennials leave the church. Um, one, two, three, four, five, six. Okay, I've only got, uh, I don't have all six. I got probably about six or seven. Okay, that's all I can really give you. Um, number one here, it says uh, churches are more focused on entertainment. As I said, we've got uh, Lifehouse Ministries, I think is what it's called, Lifehouse Church uh, in here in Van Wert, Ohio. That's one of them. They're more focused on entertainment aspects uh, rather than the sincere word. Youth, and the, the response to this is the youth want sincere worship. They long for it, but they never get it sometimes only later to fall away and bring a judgment that this church is just an act. The solution to this is get back to the gospel, ditch the lights, and stop focusing on the entertainment worship and get more towards a God-centered worship. Another one here is nobody listens. This is the reason why their kids are leaving. Nobody listens. A church can be so caught up in their way of doing things that they failed to listen to others and even the younger generations who may have better ideas on how to reach out or you know bring even bring a church back into proper worship on how to reach the latest generation of the lost souls. The solution to this would be to create uh, or regulate forums, surveys, um, to find out the needs of inside the church. I think that's important. In fact, I actually threw that idea out today. Uh, you know, I would call it a spiritual survey, uh, perhaps even done once a year uh, to kind of analyze, to, 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 to figure out what the status of the church is. What are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? What are we missing? Uh, what are we, you know, that kind of concept. Another point here is they're tired of hearing about values and mission statements. Love God and love others. It's a mission all churches emphasize. So what makes a single church so unique on this issue? It doesn't. The solution to stop with a mission statements, or at least stop you know, promoting that as you know, first-hand thing, um, and get to the heart of the gospel. If you have to, explain the mission statement. Uh, it's more likely over religious. Uh, it's, it's probably over, more over religious and too complicated. Uh, helping the poor isn't a priority. I, I, I haven't really seen that. I mean, I... I I'm not really in that field, I guess, to really recognize that too much. But, I mean, I, I do agree with that. Helping the poor isn't priority. This is some reasons people are leaving the church. Is You know, we talk too much about those who are in need, but in our own, uh, and, and even in our own church, do we have a group of people who are actively involved in reaching these people who are poor, who are the less fortunate, who do not have certain things? Do we have a team that reaches out to them? Do we help out with these homeless shelters? Do we do dinners weekly or even on a monthly basis? The solution, stop creating studies and activities within the church as a means to draw them in and get a group to go out and to minister. They're tired of cultural blame. Millennials are just as aware of some issues going on in the world and they have to live in it too. The solution to this is to teach how the Christian life should differ from the culture and why. They want to be mentored and not preached at. Preaching can only go so far into the soul. Even uh, even uh, even then, it's possible without personal without personal. I'm getting my words tongue tied here. The problem is, we need to 
create a database, uh, you know, perhaps of adult mentorships and get engaged with the youth on a weekly basis or perhaps even daily. I think, I think that's good. You know, I'll text them daily, say, hey, kid, how you doing? What's going on? You, you know, school go all right? How's sports going on? And get together once a week and have lunch. I think that's something that uh, we need to do yeah, within the ministry. Uh, talk about controversial issues that no one else does. Talk about the uncomfortable topics such as sex, such as sexuality, such as marriage, such as relationships, such as education, and so on. If the church does not help instruct the world in right living, the world itself will certainly teach them the opposite. The solution is create a space for young people, young adults, young teens, uh, to help them grow on these certain issues. Not simply a Bible study, uh, but perhaps a Christian course. I and mean, that's my personal opinion. Uh, a Christian course, you know, a series, a, a class, you know, that helps explain the, the, the dangers behind certain things that the cultural world accepts that the Christian Christianity does not. And explain to them the what and the why of the, uh, of the faith, rather than simply saying, lean on Jesus because he's all you need. We have a record. Now, I do apologize for those of you who were unable to keep up. I want to encourage you to keep up next time. You know, count a little chop-chop. Um, in fact, you can actually, uh, you know, record this. Uh, it's just a recording. You can go back and listen to it again if you need to. The audio format will be available online as well. I hope you guys did get something out of this. Again, uh, you know, I didn't share this at the beginning, but my focus is not to destroy a church. Um, you know, we've got two of them here, that, at least two of them that I've seen in town that are very concerning, that are strained. Um, or that are, are, are in need of correction, but um, are unwilling to take it, I guess, is what you would want to call it. Lifehouse Church and Living Truth Ministries. Very concerning to me. Uh, and it breaks my heart to see them in the status that they're in. But I do... Uh, I hope this kind of helped uh, give a little insight to the entertainment-driven church and why we should be careful with it and how to recognize it. Uh, I'm sorry I did go so fast. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, whatever, put them in the comments below. Send them... Uh, Actually, you know, send me a comment in the um, the messages uh, if you have, you know my contact information. You also can get a hold of us if, uh, if you don't. ChristianCornerstone.org. They've got a contact page on there. You can shoot an email. Um, that's pretty much all I have for you guys, and I hope you guys did enjoy this. You have yourself a very wonderful weekend, and God bless.